You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Great. Thank you so much. We're going to move into receiving God's word and hearing from God. So would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for this time. Would you be blessed by the opening of your word? May we be blessed by the opening of your word and would your Holy Spirit speak to us. In this time of of epiphany, we are praying for eyes to see. Really, we are looking, trying to see, trying to see differently, see afresh, see in new ways. As we hear uh, the ancient story, would you help us to hear it in a new way so that we could see differently and may that make all the difference in the world. We pray and say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been saying, we are in a season of epiphany, and so the the texts are about seeing, and and, and the whole theme is really about seeing. And so we have here uh, in this text, uh, look, look for the word see, really is what I want you to see. It says, Philip, who was one of Jesus' disciples, uh, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found the one, see found is a C word, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus Joseph's son from Nazareth. Nathanael responded, Can anything good, can anything from Nazareth be good? And this is the problem. You know how I preach, I first start with the problem. There's more text after this, but I just wanted to stop and talk about this right away. Uh, The problem that we face, before we can understand the good news, we get to the bad news. And the bad news is this is that we all let prejudice prevent progress. You see what's going on with Nathaniel. He was told that the Messiah is here. Philip says he found him. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth, essentially? And so we see Nathaniel's prejudice. We see it preventing progress. He almost lets it be a thing that helps him miss out on seeing the Messiah. And so, uh, yeah, this this prejudice that we have, we have all kinds of them. Uh, It's a way that our brain works sometimes to help us try to get through life. But ultimately, if we're not aware of these things, they can help us prevent progress. And that's my question for us right now is do you or me, do we have any stories about prejudging a place? If you have something outside of place, go for it. But I'll start with place. Yeah, um, so I had a prejudging about Arizona. Oh, yeah. So we went on a trip. We went on a family trip this um, this past summer, and we went across several states, and one of them was Arizona. And in my mind, I had always thought that it was just um, dry and desolate and desert, and there was nothing going on there. Uh, but it was beautiful. Um, we were in, I want to say... Flagstaff area. My my family can correct me if they're on right now. Um, But ultimately, uh, there was trees and it was beautiful. And we went by a ski lodge. Obviously, it wasn't (laughs) in season uh, then. But I just, I literally had no idea. So that was really cool. Yeah, Flagstaff is pretty, like 7,000 feet, pretty high up there. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I always talk about Thermalito. I get a lot of stories about Thermalito. Even growing up here, like I lived in some apartment complexes that even my own family, who's pretty rough and tumble, was like, don't go into those apartment complexes. Moving in there, I found some of the incredible friends, made great relationships. We lived there for four years, uh, raised our kids there, and we loved them. Um, but there was a, a prejudice about it. Telling people that I wanted to come to Thermalito and do some some church stuff, some church ministry, I got a lot of... Um, 
stories just of people telling me that when they moved to town, realtors would tell them, don't go to that side of the tracks. Don't go to that side of the river. Even when I was looking for my own house, I had some realtors say, I can't believe you're limiting your search only to this neighborhood. Like most people are trying to get out of this neighborhood. Um, and so just a lot of prejudging about this place, which is part of the reason why we're here, right? We got to go uh, where the gospel is needed, but we all have prejudgments, prejudices, about place, about people, about all kinds of things. And if we don't recognize those, they will prevent progress for sure. Let's move on with our story here. Uh, In John chapter one, starting in 46 here, Nathanael responded, can anything from Nazareth be good? Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here is a genuine Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Some old versions say here's a true Israelite. 48, Nathanael asked him, how do you know me? In the Greek, the question is, where do you know me from? Which is something that we might say, but I think the where question is interesting. Jesus answered, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And I could do a whole sermon about this fig tree thing, but I'm just gonna have to let it be ask big questions about it later. Nathaniel replied, Rabbi, you are God's son. So because Jesus recognized him under the fig tree, Nathaniel's response is, you are God's son. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. See, I assure you that you will see heaven open and God's angels coming up to heaven and down to earth on the human one, the son of man, Jesus. That's how he talks about himself. You know how I preach, head, heart, hands, no feel, do. With our head, something to know. With our heart, something to feel or experience. With our hands, something to do. And in this passage, there's a promise. And so that's what I want to get close to as far as what God wants us to know. And what does God want us to know? It's this, Jesus is the place where heaven and earth meet. I think uh, we're constantly looking for that place. That's why we have temples. That's why we have churches. We are trying to find that place that, that connects to the spiritual realm and the spiritual world and to figure out where God is. And ultimately what this passage wants us to know is that it's in Jesus, right? Jesus says, you will see greater things. I assure you, you'll see heaven open and angels coming and going Uh, down to earth upon the human one. It's Jesus. He is the bridge. He is the connection. He is the one in whom we are to look towards if we want to see that spiritual realm. We even have here a promise, right? You will see greater things than these. Man, whoever made this slideshow loves typos. He's got two thumbs, this guy. In the season of Epiphany, God wants us to know where to look if we want to see spiritual things, if we want to see God As you read the words of Jesus and walk the path of Jesus and live out the teaching of Jesus, you will see the greater things that Jesus promised because it's all to be found in Jesus. That's ultimately what Epiphany is. It's recentering our focus on Jesus. Question, do you have any testimony or a story about great things that you've seen God do lately? Later, I'm going to ask you about earlier in our faith journey, but right now I'm asking if there's anything going on lately that you've seen God do. A great thing. No pressure. (laughs) I'll start. You think. Uh, Recently, I had to take a family member to the hospital. I had to take my dad to the hospital. He had a leg infection, so it wasn't anything pandemic related, but it's something he tried to treat on his own for a really long time with uh, a little success and then it kept getting worse and then there were other complications 
And I feared the worst. I thought it could be all kinds of disease-related things. And um, we get to the hospital, and uh, they gave him some drip IV, which is just miraculous uh, in how quickly things cleared up. But also discovered that uh, a lot of things were a little bit easier to take care of than I originally thought. And they said it might be boiled down to uh, high blood pressure. Which, if you know him, you know that he might be a little high-strung. Just, I mean, just a smidge. Um, but I, I just felt like prayers were answered, and I know that's not always the case with everything medically related. But uh, I had a lot of concerns and a lot of uh, worries and a lot of prayers about that, and and felt and it felt like God really showed up, um, even though I wasn't able to visit him because of pandemic-related things, and he was just kind of in there, and I was getting you know news here and there. Uh, it felt like an answer to prayer that um, things came back not as badly as they could have. And so there was a lot of preoccupation with what life was going to look like post this hospital visit. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a story, and I'm going to try to cut it as short as possible. Uh, but there's so many facets of it. If you ever want to connect and, and have coffee, uh Anyone who might be listening, I'm happy to share more about it. But recently, um, the end of October, early November, I was in the hospital with our youngest. Um, and for those of you that don't know, I'm a foster parent, and this was with my foster child. Yeah. Um, and it's in the midst of COVID, and it's two and a half hours away, and it was probably the loneliest place. Um, and I hit a really kind of dark rock bottom there for a hot second. Um, about day three <laughs> and um, did a lot of praying in, in that and this beautiful like I said this is a longer story but what happened was I ended up meeting this um, this mom her name is Lily um, and the reason it's a bigger story is you may have seen it uh, on the news recently she had um, a set of conjoined twins um, and so we just happened to be in the same room as her for a brief period of time and in the midst of me just struggling through loneliness, my child was on the mend, and she was heading into this really hard and dark time. Her her kiddos were getting set for their, I think it was like an 18 to 24-hour surgery. Yeah. She stopped what she was doing, could tell that I was struggling, came over to me, wow. um, and just asked. Well, actually, she offered me some chocolate, which, I mean, that's <laughs> the way to my heart. But also, she was just like, um, can I pray for you? And, man, it, it was just, def it was definitely God. Yeah. God moving her heart to, to reach out to me, but also me to be able to see God act through someone else. So yeah. it was beautiful. Like I said, there's more to the story, uh, but I'll cut it short. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and hearing you talking about you're kind of on the mend, and she's going to the dark place, and she reached out, and it was helpful for you and I assume helpful for her and just a you know two ships passing in a in a dark sea but it was meaningful nonetheless it made the news it was like you sent me nude art news articles I yeah I had no idea successful right we didn't let's it finish successful, that successful yeah. surgery they Beautiful are no longer in their home bound and, uh, together yeah yeah she's probably not listening but I think of her and I think of them very often and um yeah. so glad to be just a teeny tiny piece of uh that story that's wild Thank you for sharing. What does God want us to feel or experience in the midst of this uh, passage? What is something that, I, I, well, this is what I'm taking away from it. And it, it hit me like a ton of bricks, and maybe it doesn't hit you like a ton of bricks. Uh, but I constantly preach identity and mission. I think these are the two most important things that you have to figure out. And ultimately, I think Jesus needs to be at the center of them if you want to have 
that eternal life, if you want to have that good life, the life abundant that Jesus promised. And so constantly trying to figure identity, which I think this is heart. I think this is at the core of who we are and purpose or mission. And so uh, I think there's a purpose. I mean, I think there's a, an identity statement that happens here that I find um, wild. I've never seen before. God certainly talked to me through it, and maybe it can be meaningful to you. But here's how I want to summarize it before I get into the text. That Jesus is to us what we are to him. And maybe the, the rule I'm kind of putting in here is like, you're going to get what you put in. Like, obviously, it's grace, and it's free, and Jesus is welcoming us to as deep as we can go and want to go. But really, as far as identity goes, we're going to get out of it as much as we put in. Here's where I'm seeing that in this. Jesus sees Nathaniel walking towards him, and Jesus calls out to him and says, there is a true Israelite. There's a genuine Israelite, if I've ever seen one. And, and, and Nathaniel says, how do you know? Where do you know me from? And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. Under the fig tree is where they would be praying. This would be a place where they'd go sit, pray, meditate, try to connect with God. And so it was in his prayer time, and, and figs represent Israel. I, again, I could go to this. But it was in his prayer time that Jesus saw him prophetically, supernaturally, divinely, and said, this is a true Israelite. And when Nathaniel heard that personal connection to God, that God had seen him in his prayer times, that God had seen him when he was trying to reach out for connection. He, he recognizes that in Jesus. And he says, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And so Nathaniel's connecting his identity to Jesus in this quick, profound statement. Nathaniel's affirmation of who Jesus is, is an identif- identification of his own self. Let me try to break it down even more. If Nathaniel is a true Israelite and Jesus is the king of Israel, Nathaniel is making his relationship to Jesus central to his identity. He is recognizing in himself that Jesus is his king, that Jesus is his Lord. And really where this gets really wild for us is that the only other times king of Israel is used is when Jesus is on the cross. And so we see here at the beginning of John's gospel something used in a brilliant way and a, and a relational way and in a way that Nathaniel is connecting with Jesus. We see that same phrase used later when Jesus is on the cross because part of our identity in Jesus is cross-shaped. It's cruciform. It's, it's going to be self-sacrifice part of this connecting to Jesus, but ultimately uh, good because on the other side of cross is resurrection. And so we see this identification with Jesus uh, if he is the king of Israel and I am a genuine Israelite, there's a connection, there's a relationship, there's a, there's a hierarchy, there's a submission, there is a abandon to this call and mission that Jesus has us on. And I think uh, we're being invited to something like that. I think of it like a wedding or an adoption or a title, right? I'm Pastor James. That name uh, has says something about my identity. Or when people get married, even now they're combining last names, which is something that I love, um, there's a way in which they're, they're combining their identities together that no longer are they going to be different. They're gonna, I mean, no longer are they going to, yeah, they're going to be different. There's something about them that is unifying in relationship or adoption when people become family. Um, names change. Uh, families are, are opened up and increased. There's just a way in which those titles and those words connect people in relationship, and I just see that happening here in a profound way. And I think the takeaway, at least for me, is this. If I want to see the greater things that Jesus promises, if I want to see heaven meet earth in Jesus, then Jesus needs to form my identity. I, I could say deeper words about being at the center of my identity, but at the very least, Jesus needs to be a part of that f- formation process. Question. Nathaniel felt seen sitting under the fig tree 
Um, is there a place where you feel like God sees you? And we, I know theologically God sees us all the time. I know really no place is more special than another, but is there a, a space that's meaningful to you, special that you feel like God uh, sees you there? Yeah, <laughs> I feel like it's a seat and it shouldn't be a season, but where I feel, when I feel most connected to God um, is like, after Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when I put up my Christmas tree yeah. at like 4.30, 5 o'clock a.m. when the kids are still sleeping and the lights are on. Um, there's just something about that quiet and that stillness. And then also just this like time of anticipation and waiting and thinking about, um, you know, the birth of Jesus and all the things. Uh, that's when I feel uh, most connected. Yeah. So I try to find those spaces as much as possible. Uh, sometimes it's also listening to water, like quiet and stillness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the ocean. Sure. So I think for me it's quiet and stillness, but I find it yeah, at yeah. different places do various seasons. It's too cold to be on your she deck probably, right? Right now, yeah, yeah. a little bit. <laughs> I know how much you love Christmas. Is your Christmas tree still up? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I just total guess. I mean, why take it down? It's an epiphany tree now, y'all. Um I think similar to you, like I have times uh, uh, more than space. I did get a new chair recently from um, my mother-in-law who got it from her mom. And it feels like it just fits me like a glove. I'm going to be so sad when my kids break this because they break everything. But man, I love this chair. I do some exercise in my garage and it sits out there and I just feels like a good place, especially in the quietness. I remember being a teen when I was first coming to faith and where I'd love to go was I lo love to just park on the dam and sit on my trunk and just look over the city. And I just still think about that as a holy space, even though you're not allowed to do that anymore ever again. Um, and then I was trying to create space uh, in my front yard. The extrovert in me just is desperate for people during this time. And there is just something about being in my front yard and seeing cars pass by that just does a little something for me. And so I put a little chair out there and I sit there and I can make my phone calls and drink my coffee. Sometimes I let my kids uh, watch some TV and I go and just um, eat my lunch by myself in peace and quiet in the front yard and just wave at all my neighbors like I'm 80 years old. You know, I just love it. And it just feels like a, a, a holy space for me um, where I can be by myself enough to check in and see what's going on, but also in the world enough to feel like I can just, I don't know, smile and wave every once in a while. Those are my places. Lastly, what does God want us to do with our hands, right? Head, heart, hands. What is, what is, what is an action, a part of this verse that uh, is inviting us to do something in the world around us? Um, for me, this one was pretty easy. Come and see. We saw it at the beginning of the passage. Uh, Philip says, come and see. We I mean, Philip says, we've, we found the Messiah. We found the one Moses was writing about. Nathaniel says, again, nothing from Nazareth is good, right? Like, this is just not going to happen. And Philip said, come and see. That's action. That's invitation. I think it means a lot. Sometimes I think we think faith is nose to the grindstone. It's believing the unseeable. It's trying to convince ourselves. It's welling up this belief that something is true, even though we're not sure about it or we can't see it. And that just isn't the case with Christianity. Never are we asked to step out into blind faith when we're talking about our whole faith. There might be times individually where God asks us to step out in faith uh, in particular situations, but when it comes to our faith in Christ, we're not asked to do blind faith. There's always an invitation 
to come and see repeatedly, to taste, to see, to experience, to witness, behold. And this is one of the things I wish uh, I could convince you of. This is one of those things that I'm staking my whole career on. I'm a pastor because I believe this, that you can experience God regularly. This isn't like, I'm just trying to convince you of a set of beliefs. And if I could just get you to believe these things in your head, like I really do believe that we can experience God regularly. In fact, I'm betting my whole career on it, right? Um, That this is part of our faith. And this is something that Jesus invites us to. I believe it. I believe it very much. In fact, our tradition is Methodism and The early question when small groups were starting was, where have you seen God this week? Or how goes it with your soul? And the question was really like, where are you experiencing God? Which I think is such a profound question because it assumes that you should be having regular experiences with God. And there are practices and there are ways and there are places and there are spaces that Christians have done this throughout the ages. Um, and, And I want that to be part of your life as well. Here's a couple verses, even in John. John chapter 4, the woman at the well invites them, come and see a man. There's an invitation. Not, you don't have to believe the thing I'm telling you. There's an invitation to come and meet Jesus. She's going to walk them to him. It's going to change their whole village. Same thing happened with Philip and Nathaniel. Jesus invites us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and you will find rest for your souls. Right? There's an invitation to come. Uh, one of my favorite passages, forgive me for the wall of text, I got two of these. Isaiah 55 is one of, these, one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture to me. God's saying to his people, all of you who are thirsty, come to the water. Whoever has no money, come buy food and eat without money at no cost. Buy wine and milk. Why spend money for for what isn't food and your earnings for what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Enjoy the richest of feasts. Listen and come to me. Listen and you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Seek. There's more epiphany language. Seek the Lord when he can still be found. Call him while he is yet near. It's an invitation to come, to taste, to see the goodness of God. Not blind faith. Try to figure out how much of this thing you can believe in your head and just kind of push forward. I'm hoping that we can come and see and experience the goodness of God. Here's my question as we wrap up. Uh, Do you have a story, maybe early in your faith journey, where God showed you something good? And while you're thinking, I'll go, because I asked this question for me. Man, I didn't come to faith until I was 15, and I remember. And then I could only go to youth group because I had a job on Sundays, and I probably shared this story a hundred times. But then there came a time about three or four months in after just like connecting with Jesus and giving my heart to Jesus that I was able to go to church on a Sunday morning for the first time. And that first time I walked in, just chills up and down my body. I couldn't get them to stop. And that happened for six months. Every time I walked in, just chills up and down. And I knew, I knew that that wasn't a forever thing. I knew that I wasn't, I wasn't expecting God to be encouraging me like that forever. But I, I, what I knew was that that was something as I was new in my faith, that God was encouraging me to connect. That, 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 that was a sign to me that this is exactly where I was supposed to be. And this was the journey exactly where I was supposed to be heading towards. And so that was just, that was the goodness for me for a long time uh, that I felt like God uh, invited me to come and see, to taste. And uh, that was the taste uh, of some goodness that I'll just never forget. I still get it every once in a while. Just chills up and down every time I walk into holy and sacred space. I don't know. I might be out of my mind. But to me, I really do feel like that's a way of God connecting with me. Where I th- you go? Yeah, I think early in uh, my faith 
journey. Well, I, I grew up in the church. Um, I was surrounded by a lot of, um, you know, God-fearing women, actually, more. We just have a lot of women in our family. I don't know. <laughs> but one of them in particular was my grandma who lived in Oregon. Uh, and I would go visit her every, um, every Easter. And one of the things that we would do every night um, while we were up there is we would, like, legit get down on our hands and knees beside the bed, and we would pray. And she would pray for everybody. I felt like everybody in our family. We have a huge family by name. <laughs> but what, what got me was this, this idea or this, like, concept of, um, oh, my goodness, I'm going to lose the word, uh, uh, unconditional love. And it just seems so vast, and it seems so, like, you just can't quite, like, grasp it. Yeah. But I remember having one uh, prayer session with her. Um, and and for those of you that don't know, my father, my biological father left when we were about three. I didn't know him very well at the time. Um, but she would pray for him. Yeah. And it was just, for me, in those moments, I didn't quite understand it at the time. Yeah. Because, it, like I said, I didn't know this man. Um, I didn't have a relationship with this man, but it was still just so important to her to continue to pray for him and our future relationship yeah. and also his future relationship with Christ because yeah. she didn't know where he had gone and what, yeah. what was going on with his life. Um, but, man, that could not have been a more clear picture, um, an example to me of just unconditional yeah. love that she had for this person, the reason why I exist. Yeah. You know? So, uh, like yeah. To say his name out loud, I'm sure, was powerful. And then to not let any anger or frustration she had with him cloud that unconditional love that she was supposed to have in Jesus for him. That's a that's a powerful testament. I love that. Well, in conclusion, uh, here's what this passage, passage kind of brings to mind for me. That Jesus is where we look to see God and greater things. Um, to find it outside of Jesus, I, I don't think we're going to see those greater things that Jesus promised. And we are invited to make Jesus uh, our core identity, to see that good life. Uh, to that Israel, King of Israel situation going on there. But there's an invitation uh, to make Jesus core to who, are, who we are. And lastly, this isn't a blind faith. Uh, but we are invited to come and see and taste the goodness of God. And that's my encouragement for you um, to seek out the experience of God in your life, um, not just trying to ascribe to some mental beliefs, but really ask, seek, try, uh, do the practices that the church encourages to have one of those life-changing encounters with Jesus. Would you hear now the benediction from Ephesians chapter 4? And it goes like this. Uh, may you put aside all bitterness, losing your temper, anger, shouting, and slander along with every other evil. And instead, may you be kind, compassionate, and forgiving to each other in the same way God forgave you in Jesus Christ. Would you be blessed and have a lovely week. Go in peace.